Hey, all right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. This is part two of episode 102, The Awakening of Jed Cast. Last time we spoke to Jed in part one, we talked about his upbringings, how he grew up, growing up in England uh, with his father being absentee and uh, learning to love himself. That's what we talked about. And right now, stay tuned for part two, ladies and gentlemen. Did you cut your hair, change your dress? Because you said in the beginning your mom didn't want you to wear pants like so many like boys clothes, or do you adopt the boys clothes now? Um. Yeah. I guess this reminds me of. Interestingly enough, talking to people growing up about being black. Wow. Um, who are kind of curious. And um, there are lots of like details that people want to know or like check their ideas of what you might be with what you are. So like, I know this about people like you, is that true? Or I know this about people like you, is that true? Mm. Mm. This reminds me of that. Well, it's because in America, we identify completely different, right? There's a stand-up comedian. Have you heard of Sam J? Do you know who she is? No. <laughs> you should watch the show. It's called Pause. She's black. Mm. She's a lesbian. And she talks about, like, I have to identify as black. Then I have to identify as a lesbian. Then I have to go through all this. She goes, all these boxes that I'm completely different. So it's being black is already a struggle. Then being gay is already a struggle. So it's like different boxes that black people are doing. Because everything black people do is like succumb to the different place. Because there's pretty much there's racism in the gay community, too. Mm. You know, yeah, it's funny because there's racism in the gay community and then a lot of black people don't like anything not heterosexual or not, um, or, yeah. It depends though. It depends where you're from. It depends where you're from. Yeah, yeah, it totally Sometimes depends. it's just like black people don't, you don't deal with it until it's in your family. Mm. When it's in your family, that's when you identify. It's just like, oh, that's my cousin. Oh, that's that's my cousin Jermaine. That's my dog Leroy. He's gay, but that's my dog. That's who he is. Yeah, I think that's the same with um, white people as well, or at least here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, like you're 17, you're a lesbian, you're black, you're black, you're a black girl, you're a black girl, you're a black teenager. So all these things are happening, and you're still inside a small town. When do you say, like, y'all ready to go to college? When does that happen? Like, I'm going to college. Maybe I can meet people who are like me or something like that. Like like a Jedi's request. I'm trying to meet more other Jedi's. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, I wanted to go to London. So I, and I chose universities in London Why to London? apply to. Big about London. Is there other big cities in England that people like to go, international cities? Um... There's Manchester and Birmingham. Okay. But London's a big one because it's like a world hub. Mm, okay. Mm. So you graduate high school. Let's go back to high school. Do you guys have prom there? Do you know what a prom? Do y'all have a prom? Like We had a prom, yeah. Did you go or no? Yeah, I went. You went? Who'd you go with? Friends? I think we all went as a group, yeah. It's like friends. I think. Yeah. We all got like a rented the car but it's not that big a deal i mean it's more like um we have in england we have like a school disco 
So, yeah. Like here, it's a big deal. Promise. Mm. Some people rent limousines, everything else. Rolls Royce. It's like a, it's a, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> even crazier now. Mm, it's kind of like a wedding day. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's like a ball, like a like a red carpet event. Mm -hmm. So, seventeen, we graduate. What type of student were you in high school? All A's. Pretty much. All A's. What do y'all said? A's or all top school? Uh, well, what's what did you say? Sorry. Like all good grades, were you like one of the very like high performing students? Uh, I wasn't like one of the very high performing, except in English. But uh, yeah, I did like quite well. So you, what's that like when you get accepted to college? You remember that feeling like, oh man, I'm going to college, I got accepted. Did you bring home your college acceptance letter? I don't think I was, I don't, yeah, I was still not very, I was just kind of doing what I was supposed to do. I was like, um, I was supposed to go to like a Russell group university, like a Ivy League, our equivalent of Ivy League and do well and so I was kind of doing that I think I had the idea that I wanted to have a gap year do you have these we don't have it like, Canadians do it after you finish high school you take a year off right yeah um but then I, yeah I didn't do that in the end and I I just went to TMSD what's the college called TMSD what's TMSD that's what you just said what did you just say uh, I went to university. Oh, university. That's what we call. Yeah, we call. Yeah, MSD. yeah. MSD. I was like, oh, that's. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We call it university or uni. Uni. Okay. Uni. But yeah, so I went. Um, I went there, and then yeah, I started c coming out more and meeting more LGBT people, and yeah. Did your friends go to the same college as you, or what was that like? Like leaving? Do you remember the day you pack everything up and like, bye, mom, I'm getting on the tube? Um, yeah, I mean, my family is pretty dysfunctional and, and uh, my mum had a boyfriend at the time and it was kind of messy. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't, yeah, it was, it was kind of stressful. Yeah. So yeah. you left to college is more like a freedom, a little bit of relief. You're like, I'm finally out. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, yeah, like my... I'm probably, I'm 31 now and I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I don't really have like um, fond, rosy memories of like school, university, really. My like fun memories begin probably like mid twenties. Then I started having like more, I don't know, more feeling more connected to my own life probably. You probably, is it because you think you probably developed who the person that you are now? It's like the, the baby steps of getting there. Maybe. I transitioned when I was about 24, so I think it was probably after then. So let's go before the transition. You're 18, you're in college, right? Mm. School comes easy to you. Are you really working hard or is it just like whatever you're going through the motions? I'm just going through the motions, yeah. I did. I worked hard. I I kind of worked the same way that I'd always worked, which is like fairly hard. What did you study? Not, not passionate, just working hard. What were you? I, I studied English literature for a year, and then I switched to philosophy. Mm -hmm. I'd actually wanted to drop out in the after the first year, 
and do music. Mm. Yeah. You can rap, sing. Uh, play piano. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I did. I did piano grades uh, throughout throughout school. And yeah, I loved music. That's probably something I felt passionate about, but didn't I didn't do it at that point anyway. But I was doing it, but just sort of by myself. With the first people you meet in college, what's that like when you start meeting this college bunch? Because you leave the high school. Um, Who was the first person you met when you were out there? It's like 2007, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the first people I met was um, someone who's he was training to be a pharmacist at the time. I think now he's, or at least he was billing himself as like, um, or themselves as London's um, premier Muslim drag queen. I don't know if they're still doing it, but yeah. So that was one of the first people I met. And um, he, at the time, I don't know his now, but like was like very lively and would like go out to things and We'd go together. I met like interesting people. Like I met Monroe Bergdorf and other people like before. And yeah, just like going out in London was great. What is it about London? You know, what is it about? Do you feel more culturally accepted? Because you're meeting more black people in London, more people inside your community. Do you feel like, oh wow, this is what I this is what I was missing growing up? Yeah, I'm starting to feel that now. I think, I mean, King's College London philosophy course was all white people as well. I think maybe apart from maybe one other person who was maybe Asian. But um, so, and the jobs I got after that were mostly white white people as well. I got a job at PRS for Music a couple of years ago, which where black people were working as well. So that was nice not to be the only one. But yeah, it's only recently that I've made I think it's more like um, sometimes things around you reflect what you're thinking or beliefs you have without realizing. So I think um, I kind of rejected a lot of things to do with being black because they would didn't really help me when I was growing up. They were things that I wanted to play down or not associate myself with because people were already projecting them onto me. Like stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. And so I was always the exception to whatever was going on. So that's what I was used to. So it's only recently that I've realized I don't like that feeling or that that is not necessarily normal or I don't have, it doesn't have to be that way. And that, it's, yeah, I don't need to blend in all the time. I can just change the environment. <laughs> Who was the first black person that was nice to you? When you who was your first black friend besides me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, who's my first black friend? I don't know. I'm sure there is someone. I can't think who they like. If I would think of them as my first black friend. Or what age were you start hanging out with black people? What age were you when you started hanging out with like more black people that you felt comfortable with? Probably like two years ago. 
Really? Wow. You know, it's ironic because it's like black people are the most influential people on the planet. Mm. Well, I remember when I went to, I started at King's and then I went to a, a Afro-Caribbean, the Afro-Caribbean society and they had an icebreaker, like a get to know you thing. And uh, the task was everyone get into the London boroughs that you come from, like get into groups as to where you're from. And I said, oh, I'm from Dorset. And the person running was like, no one, no one here lives, is from there. I think you might be on your own. And I felt, uh, I'd sort of built it up so much to go there. And then they said, oh, you're on your own here as well. I didn't go back. Oh. But also I wasn't, um, yeah, there's, it takes a lot to get over that kind of profound self-rejection, I think. So it's not. Trauma. Yeah, it's not really, it's not really visible. It's kind of like a, um, if you don't, if you don't accept yourself, you find other people who also don't, because that makes sense. And when you meet people who do, it's uncomfortable. So it's like an internal thing that needs to change in order for, to, in order to welcome in people who like you or accept who you or what you are. So that's, yeah. Do you notice this right now? This might be black Americans, but I notice around the world, black people are, we uh, give each other a hard time, but it's like a fun thing. Like we roast each other. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes when you're not used to it, you think that black people are being mean, but sometimes they're just like, man, da da da. But it's always just mm. like a, a way of breaking each other in. Yeah, I think that's the mannerism thing we were like talking about earlier, or like how people talk to each other. Like you're saying, there's like ways of talking. And what's probably odd for some people, if I meet, meet black people, is that I don't have any of them, like, or I don't seem to have the a reference of nothing. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't have the, like the ripping each other thing. Well, I don't have whatever things are common for British Afro-Caribbeans. I don't have any of them, or even Africans, because all the people I imitate or my mannerisms are all from white people from Hampshire. So, and including like, awkwardness or like that kind of whatever it is kind of indirectness or like right i have that too i, I think not that i think but i noticed like with me since i grew up like around this is like every time i meet a black person mm. i always give them the benefit of the doubt like i we got to connect mm. you know so when i met you I was like, oh you're another black comic what's up dude how's everything yeah yeah you know so it's yeah. very unique of just being this color and not meeting other people to like welcome you until you're two years ago until you're like 28 yeah that's a long time hmm what would you like so I, my question is this like as you see all these black people on tv do you identify with them yeah yeah when you see hillary banks she probably looked just like you growing up from Who's hillary banks that's Will Smith's uh, his cousin in uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah, Carlton's sister. That's probably what you look like. Yeah, I look good as a girl. Curly hair. 
So, so what's do you have? What's your first girlfriend like? So, as you identify as a lesbian, do you date? Are you dating like white girls, or what are you dating? Um, yeah, I dated white girls and like, um, until like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, because not like out thinking. of any conscious decision, just um, like all of my social circles were white white people, as they'd always been. I just was recreating my home life over and over again, even though I'd left. So. Yeah, my, yeah, I had a girlfriend who was a teacher who was like local to where, like my small town. Um, yeah, and then I dated someone else who was from Somerset. Well, no, she was from London actually, but then her parents had moved to Somerset. You ever introduced her to your parents? Yeah. How did that go? Good? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Did you ever have a conversation with your dad about how you felt, or like, or did he ever care, or did he ever know? Uh, daughter's a he was not really in my life after the age of five. Completely. Um. No, he. Never, yeah, it wasn't. Never happy birthday. Nothing. He would send postcards. Wow. But they were not the kind of postcards that you want to receive. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So your sister, right? You have a sister? Yeah, I have a half-sister who lives in Bath. In how, how many years apart are you guys? We are three years apart. I think she's three years older than I am. Older? Okay, she's three years older. Yeah, yeah. So that's my dad's other child so she her mother is like afro-caribbean and then my dad's nigerian so when do you connect with her um when, i think i was about 14 we like arranged to go to the beach and then her friends were there it was just kind of awkward because really. <laughs> you know it's just like it's someone you're related to but you don't have no connections with <laughs> so yeah it's just like hey they might as well be it's it's quite um distant relative like a cousin yeah it's just it's like you could just pick anyone out of a crowd and then say your relatives but there's no um connection yeah there's nothing what can you talk about you're completely different people but yeah it was it was still a nice thing to do did she make an effort to bond with you or have you made an effort to bond with her or um i guess she would have been like a teenager and like wanting to do her own thing so and she already had siblings because her mum had. She kind of had like had her own thing going on, I think. Oh, what about to this day? Do you guys like text each other and what's up? How are you? No, not really. Because that was really the first person of black woman that you really identified with that had your DNA. Um. Yeah. That was true. doesn't necessarily translate into having a relationship. Yes, I understand. Mm. So 24, you make the decision to transition. Do you talk to anybody or you just do it? Um, it's kind of a long process in the UK. It takes about three years from your referral to when you're seen by anyone. So 
uh, I guess I sort of transitioned socially and I was quite androgynous for a few years. What means um, meaning in what? Uh, meaning that some people would see me as a girl and some people would see me as a boy, just out and about. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I changed my name and then, yeah. What was your original name? Um, well, I won't share it, not because I don't mind, but Just, yeah, yeah. because, uh, yeah, yeah, because um, some people, I mean, you won't remember anyway, it's really long. <laughs> it's, but I'm um, yeah. now a hyphen of that name, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is what, sorry? Is your name now, uh, like originated from your original name that's what i'm trying to ask um it's different it's kind of sound it's rhythmically sounds the same okay i had five names so that's what i was now, like did you oh did yeah you yeah completely change it's, the name or did you take it a piece of that name to make jed oh right no it's a different name but just sounds kind of it's kind of got three syllables and ends with an a like that kind of thing so you you transition and i think that's what we talked about when when i met you because you said you're trans and i was like oh what are you transitioning to he's like i already did it and i was like really oh, <laughs> like that, i was like that fast and you're like yeah i already did it <laughs> remember that we had that conversation and i was like yeah but in america it's so expensive to do it mm. and when you told me the process i was like wow that seems fairly even though it's three years it's really like a you know you're not going in financial debt mm to come be, to become who you are. Does that make sense? Mm, right, right. Some people do, some people, because um, it's faster. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much longer that will be in NHS or how much longer there will be in NHS. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, at least when I've been doing it, it's possible. Yeah, so I was like, oh man, that's cool. I was like, oh, it's cool you transitioned. You're like, I already did it. I was like, oh, well, freak, I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> So, as you transition the, that first year, as it takes a three-year process, uh, how does your mother accept the news? Everybody's cool with it, or everyone's like, um, not not really, no. Pretty not cool with it. They're pushing back, they're pushing back. Do they feel like? Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of kind of uh, insulting questions. And uh, comments and silence. Do you, did you did you like talk to a therapist or anything else? Like, were there many nights where you're crying or just like understanding why or are you not that type of person? Um, I guess so. Yeah, it was. I was estranged from my family for about three years. Yeah, you seem like you don't cry a lot. You seem like you held everything in. You know yeah i think that's how i come across yeah i think it's a sort of learned thing so i might have i'm i'm quite reserved i suppose yes not because i'm not, I'm not feeling just because i don't know <laughs> that i am but um yeah it was it was not i mean other stuff was happening at the same time I was like living my life, but uh, yeah, that that aspect of my relationship with my family was um, 
sort of finished for a while. Wow. Yeah. Do you get the feeling of alone? Do you feel alone a little bit? Um, or is it well, your friends, your friends that replace the void from your family. Well, in some ways, it was a welcome void because my family is quite dysfunctional. So it was actually good for me for them to not be there. Um, wow. But they, it's I don't know. Time changes things. I think time is um, time is things look very different depending on when you're thinking about. And a lot of this stuff I'm talking about is. Um, quite painful, and it's not. Uh, it's not that I. I've kind of processed most of it, and my relationship with my family now is completely different than it was. So it's almost, but it couldn't be how it is now if it wasn't how it was then. So there were things I have ways, the way I think about it now is that uh, we are born to our parents to teach them something. I agree. And they can learn it if they want to, but they might not like to learn it, <laughs> but they will, they can either learn it or not learn it. That's a very good point. Can you say that again? We're born to what? Say that again. We, we as who we are, are born to the parents we're born to, to teach them a lesson in their lives that they need. Wow. And it might not be very, we might not have that perspective on it when we're younger, and they might not see it that way either, but that's what it is. Yeah, I definitely can tell you study philosophy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, philosophy, you know, <laughs> philosophy. So as we're processing this pain, these emotions, we finally become Jed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess over time. What's the feeling? And, uh, what's that feeling like? How, what's it? Do you feel it? Find like this is who I am. This is who this whole time that this dude that I see in the mirror is the dude that I've always saw. Yeah, I guess it's like. Um, I guess yeah, to to people who've known you a long time, it looks like a a change, or that there was someone who was there who is now gone. And to the person who's transitioned, it's more like a sigh of relief, like a taking off of something that you've been wearing for other people's benefit. So it's like a, you've been like this, and then you like relax, and you're like, oh, just stop. Uh, you feel yeah. <clears throat> inside your community, I feel like there's a lot of, now inside the trans community, there's a lot of like debates on some people are left, some people are right, some people are conservative, some people are liberal. Do you think now that, would you like to see trans people in the Olympics? Do you think that'd be more, do you feel like you want to see more trans people representative? Do you feel that way? Um, it's very normal, different for you, because usually you don't see more it's more men transitioning to women. No, it's men, more men transitioning to women instead of women transitioning to men. Mm. 
Wait, so is your question, do I think trans people should be in the Olympics? Not do I think, I'm saying, uh, do you see, do you see that more representation? Like, would you like to see representation in the Olympics? Do you see that? Um, would I like to see representation in the Olympics? Or do you already see yes. representation in the trans community? Um, <clears throat> I guess, yeah, it's kind of similar to like, um, representation in other areas, like for black people, for example, representation of, so, you know, when people say like the, f the first black person to do this or that, yeah. but they don't say the first, um, person descended from <laughs> African slaves wow. who was then free and then Europeans allowed <laughs> uh, Europeans declined to arrest if they tried to participate in this thing like that's what it actually is and so I suppose I see it like that like it's uh, people want to do all the things that other people want to do and the reasons they don't vary and one reason people don't do things that they want to do is because other people literally won't let them by law or they'll be physically hurt if they try and do this thing. No, I so uh, I suppose I think it would be nice. Uh, I think it would be good in general for society if there were fewer res restrictions on who is allowed to do things that they want to, what they want to do. I don't know, that, that came out kind of funny, but like... Are there restrictions in England for transgender people? Is there, is there... Um, there, are, there was recently some kind of debate about something that's existed for a long time anyway, but I don't, I don't know why it was coming up. But I think it was kind of, sometimes British politics, they copy American politics. Yeah. So you had like a controversy about trans bathroom rights, right? And then we had one. That was like kind yeah, of like all gender neutral similar people. talking points anyone can go into a bathroom mm. there is a i think this being tra trans is now fairly new like five to ten years mm. it's been happening for a while but now in america the conversations are becoming more i think roy wood jr have you heard do you know who roy wood jr is stand-up comedian from uh he's on the daily show he made a good joke okay about like accepting people changing who they are he goes, if you can't accept a transgender, he goes, Hulk Hogan's real name. So Hulk Hogan is just a nigga from Tampa named Terry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it makes so much sense. It's just like, accept people for who they are and stuff like that. So as you become mm. this, this man, you accept that you're Jake Cass now. Because you said like now in 24 is when you start living your life. So what's it like now? entering this world like what's the acceptance like what's that you finally feel who you are so when do you start connecting more with like other people or when do you start like do you think you get a better job do everything else or you're just more at peace with you who you are mm. definitely wasn't more at peace just because i transitioned but i was um Oh, I suppose I was in some ways in that I stopped thinking about gender so much. Mm -hmm. I just, then I could just think about all my other problems. <laughs>
<laughs> I have to keep thinking about gender. I could just think about all the emotional baggage that came with growing up the way. I mean, I think um, sometimes because it's the most like salacious or controversial or titillating factor, being trans can sometimes be like a be like seen as the thing around around which everything in your life revolves when in fact it's more like uh, something that is part of lots of other threads that make up your life and um, this was one thread and there, there, um, there are lots of other things that happen to contribute to the way I feel now about who I am and a lot of them have to do with relationships and um, finding out what love is and that kind of thing. So when's the first time you fell in love? How old were you when you first had your first true love? Mm. I don't know what's a true love, but I suppose even different than romantic love would just be the idea of what love is and whether whether I am loved and whether I love others or whether something else is going on. Sometimes things that look like love are actually transactional or or um, things that look like love are attachments or they're, um, they're motivated by fear, which is, comes from somewhere else. And so there's been a lot of time of making mistakes or not realizing or being kind of unconscious about that kind of thing. And I suppose the things that have brought me to how I am now are, is a process of me becoming conscious about what it means to be a human being in society. Have you broke someone's heart before? Mm. I suppose it's not for me to say. You sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure a girl would feel completely different, right? If you ask, if, I, if you asked your ex-girlfriend, did you break her heart? Maybe sometimes uh, we call it friendly fire. Like you're not intended to shoot a friend, but sometimes they just get caught in the strays of the bullets. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe you'd have to ask them. Have you Have you had your heart broken before? Yes. As, as Jed, so as you're now in this day, how what was that like? Because now you're in your late 20s. You're in your late 20s. This is where we are in your life. So now these emotions that you have mm-hmm. now, they're a whole lot harder now because as we get older, we understand our body. We understand our mind. Like, how did you recover from that? I feel it's similar to um, 
similar to that we come to teach our parents a lesson in that there is something in every relationship I've had for me to become aware of that I haven't been aware of. And uh, give me an example. Like, what about you did you learn about yourself that you hmm. did not know when you're in a relationship? Like, I realize about me that I hold a lot of stuff in mm. because I grew up in a household where I had a lot of love around me, but my mother and my father were not my friends. Mm -hmm. The things I learned about sexuality, the things I learned about who I was a person, I learned from my friends. I understand who like that. So I didn't really talk about how I felt at the time. Or things that I was like very mean, right? And I had to learn forgiveness, learning how to understand if somebody hurts me, I need to let them know immediately instead of like holding it in. I had to learn, like identify that with myself a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds... And how did you find that? Uh, I would say trial and error. Trial and mm -hmm. error. I think uh, my my current wife, when we started dating, it was a lot of, like nine years ago, her telling me, you do certain things like this, and me like blowing things off because that's how I was raised. Like, we don't, we don't talk about our emotions. Like, yeah, like, you know, Telling her to relax and everything else. So she had to literally say, let's work through this. Let's talk. How are we going to make things better? And me understanding, I think I had to get to a point where I realized, like, I didn't want to be without her. So to know that I cannot be without her, I have to change these certain things about myself. Mm -hmm. And, like, dealing with, dealing with, uh, like, the toxic culture. I'm like, I'm going to, if you talk about toxic male, that's, that's what I used to be. I was from that. You don't, we, you know, we're just out here chasing chicks. Everything else is what we started doing until you realize, I think it was when, when I was like, I saw my baby sister when she was like 14. And I was like, what are you crying about? And I think she was crying over her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, freak, what? <laughs> like, oh, am I, am I that guy? Or when I was giving her advice about dudes and I was just like, if you're hanging out with a dude and all of a sudden it randomly gets cold, don't worry, he's trying to hook up with you. She goes, randomly gets cold, what? And I was like, oh, freak, I'm describing it myself. So I had to like look at myself in the mirror, and then I had to start. I started ask. I started asking people for forgiveness. Like I hit up an ex girlfriend. I was like in like 2012. I asked her to forgive me for the way I treated her. And kid you not, when she forgave me, like I felt like a burden was off me. Six months later, I met my current wife. Mm -hmm. But I had to get to that point where I was just thought in my life. I thought that somebody was patronizing me. Mm. Like, why am I always upset with this specific person this specific person and then I was talking to this therapist she goes because you're upset that you broke a friendship like even though you're not together with a person you still you identify and you still like their characteristics you can still be a friend to them and then when I asked for forgiveness like she said I said sorry it was accepted then literally within like months I met my current wife like nine years ago but I had that weight of just like being accepting to be disappointed being okay to not have everything in place, to be okay of working on a relationship. And I had to like literally break myself down to realize like, I'm not gonna be without my lady. 
So I need to make sure she understands that. Mm. And that comes with time, you know, that comes with time. Like, I, the more you grow up, the more you understand, like, love is a is a full-time job. You know, it is not like you take days off and you still got to consistently work on it. You still got to, you're, you're taking another person and you're bringing another person with you and you're combining those flames together. All that baggage they have, all that baggage you have, you bring it together and you put it in one suitcase and like, now let's recycle it. Let's all throw this out together, you know? So what about you? Did you learn about yourself through your relationships? Because now mm. at the timeline at your life, we're at like 29 to 30. We're at this place where you understand who you are, your family and you have like connected. You guys are back on one page. And now, what's that love like? What's that thing about yourself that you learned? You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was this type of person. Mm. I think um, I think a lot of it was to do with um, self-perception mm. in that, yeah, it's, everything's kind of interlinked, so it's hard to describe one thing without describing all of the things that one belief is connected to, but uh, I suppose it basically comes down to self-esteem, which is that if you don't, or since I didn't see myself as um, particularly valuable, um, I didn't. It's a. Uh, I didn't really see what other people would see when they liked me, and also because I'd had so many experiences where I thought someone was seeing me clearly and then they weren't growing up it's the but but I also saw myself through other people's eyes because I was always trying to assimilate into what they thought I should be because I'd separated a lot of myself off and pushed it away um basically doing that has consequences because it kills your soul yeah. So, or your spirit. So I, what I had was a broken spirit. And it made, you can't love someone from that place. And also you can't receive love or recognize what it is. So I would mistrust people's motivations a lot of the time. Or I would think whenever someone did something for me, it's because they were trying to do something else. So I was quite suspicious of... of I could be quite friendly and nice to people, but when people were close, I would find that quite threatening. I also had experiences of being dom dominated by someone close to me, which is how I was brought up as being steamrolled. So I associated being close to someone to them taking over what you do and don't do. So I would also not want that. So I would be quite, and um, yeah. Um, those are just a few of the things <laughs> but those things make it difficult to bond with someone in any kind of way where it's it just makes uh, existence lonely because you can be so close to people but you can't connect in any kind of intim intimacy you can't have intimacy mm -hmm. so 
so you can have sex with people you can do this or you can but it's you can't be intimate with someone um so in that sense i could have friends and relationships but i was always lonely so and the loneliness would feel the kind of suspicion so it's it's kind of um and the idea that oh, i want to protect myself or this kind of thing and i think i had to realize from that was that from relationships not working out is that um i am inflicting these rejections on myself i imagine them i the things i think other people are doing to me i am doing to myself they are not doing them so i suppose the question about a broken heart is kind of um, if i really love someone and they or someone really loves me and they don't make me happy or or I if we are not making each other happy if we love each other we want each other to be happy in the purest sense so i don't want to do you know what i mean no i understand what you're saying yeah so there's a kind of um when i was feeling lonely i would get much more attached because the the relationships with other people would take on this risk factor of is is this going to uh be connection or am i going to be or is it going to go back to being loneliness and that made that kills it kills the connection because it's not sink or swim it's very yeah it raises this it it turns a relationship into something to 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 make up for something that is missing in oneself right when that is not what a relationship is for so uh yeah it's kind of stuff people always talk about it's just that uh it's very difficult to see in what well, i found it difficult to see in myself mm. and to actually experience what it's like to let that go or admit it is is um quite quite different so i feel less i feel i don't feel powerless as i used to feel i don't feel like other people are going to come and go in my life without and take something from me that's not that's not how i see things have you ever as you're proud to be a trans man is it ever a shock when you tell people as you date now are you concerned are you single now mm. so is it is it tough like dating or like we is it tough dating not tough dating but i think phil now is it in society is acceptable to tell like who you are or do you wait for that information does that make sense mm. Mm. well i'm pretty public about it so i guess people just realize i don't know yeah. um My friend, she just transitioned. Mm. She transitioned for a while, but I didn't know because she kept telling me, and she's like, "You didn't know I was transitioning." I was like, "No, I didn't. I didn't know you transitioned at all." She's like, "Did you notice I was prettier?" I was like, "You, you know, I'm not into white women, but you know, I was like that. <laughs> I was like, you just, you just always been my homie." So mm. now she's fully transitioned, but she said like, the drawback is that people are like praying her instead of courting her 
I think, yeah, I think that's definitely, there are differences in how trans women and trans men are treated. And trans women, in the same way that I was talking about at school, boys who would not who would not behave in a strictly masculine way, or what was perceived as masculine, they would be publicly shamed for that. So I think trans women get that, they get that same energy, that like, the same energy that people call gay men names or, or assault them or shame them for not being manly. This is, it's an extension of that behavior to trans women. So that's why it comes with the violence. And um, it's just a lot more visceral and dangerous, the feelings that people have towards trans women than trans men, because because it's a patriarchal society. In a way, sometimes trans men get like, people think, oh, you're, you're transitioning. Oh, that makes sense because now you have more respect in society. So people, wow. well, it kind of makes sense to people and they, or, or people think, oh, you know, even good for you. You know, it's kind of like a, there's a totally different attitude. You're more like a, yeah, most of the time. You're not a threat to men. Exactly, yeah. And I guess the most, yeah. In a, in a way, some, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so now we're at where you are right now, right? So now <laughs> you're meeting more black people now at this age of life. What's it like now connecting with black people? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's. Uh, do you feel like this is what? Feel like this is what? Do you wish like you would have did it more earlier in life? Now. I mean, this is sort of stuff I've said when I was a a kid, and so it's like um. Everything happens at the right time. It was the right time for it to happen. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to happen earlier. That's so, um, but it's a kind of, yeah. So when I would express this wish to be around other black people, then I would be, so my family might say, oh, you're being ungrateful. Oh, okay. So then I would internalize that as, okay, so I actually don't need this thing. It's me being too much to ask. It's too much to ask. It's, it's silly to ask. It's a silly thing to want. So then I don't want it. So it t takes a while to reclaim things you want, which is another thing I've, I've um, which is another thing that's affected relationships because if you don't know what you want or you're not really in touch with what you you need emotionally or anything else, then it's difficult for someone else to be intimate with you because you don't <laughs> you don't know what you need. So that's another thing. I've learned so it's kind of there are a lot of different strands that all go together and being talking or my status in society as a trans person whatever that can mean is as significant in my relationships with others as being a black person and, or mixed race or whatever that means to people and I think these 
these labels kind of move around a lot and the significance of them changes and um we're all learning we're all continually learning this world is ever evolving and ever yeah there's more there's more to there's more to you than the labels i that may fit you in society your your jared you know there's more there's more to you than where you're from and who your family are your like cultural background it's like there's there's lots of things that all go together and then there's the spirit of you as a as a human being right all right now this part of the podcast is called the hilltop questions even though i asked you questions the whole time right 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 so this you can answer it how any way you want right this is like the the conclusion so you can answer it long form short form anything you want this is all about you do you believe in god mm. sure answer yes hmm. do have you ever read any of the books any religious books uh, I haven't read any religious books, but I was raised Catholic, so I have that as a reference point. I'm not a practicing Catholic, and I and I'm not um, practicing Christian even. Um, I when I did philosophy, I was pretty. I was interested in theology as well, so I was interested in Aquinas and Saint Augustine and things like that. Um, but no, no religious texts that I'm familiar with. What would be the long answer? You go short answer, yes. What was the long answer? To God? Yeah. Uh, I, I, day to day, this is not how I see things, but I have had an experience where I see things as one, so um, the words and thoughts and ideas we have, we put them onto the, onto the world and we separate things into this and that, and this goes with that, and this is opposite to that. And this, and uh, we perceive time and we perceive change and um, separateness. Yes. But the separateness is not Either, so if I am to define where I begin and end, it gets blurry. Got it. Um, or if I'm saying there's an object in a space, that space is not empty. There's atoms in that space. There's no space that's unoccupied. Mm. Everything is one in that sense and uh, there is a, a consciousness of which everything is a part including all of us and we are we are like aspects of that one consciousness in one person but we are part of the oneness that is 
and you could call that oneness God or something. And I think people feel it in different ways. Some people are not religious or wouldn't consider themselves spiritual, but they love to be out in nature or in the mountains because they feel that that feeling. And people who are adhere to one religion feel it, or people who mix and match, or people who, uh, yeah. I think psychedelics have that, give that experience. People who meditate, I think it's the same, it's that one, oneness. Okay, next question. When's the last time you had a nightmare? Mm, the other night I dreamt uh, my tooth, like one of those teeth dreams. When you're losing your teeth, right? Yeah, I'm losing a tooth, losing a, tipping a tooth. And I was looking at it on the floor, yeah. I wasn't happy about it. What's your biggest fear? Biggest fear. I wrote out a list of my biggest fears. Um, and my biggest fear now. I don't know. My biggest, well, I'll tell you the fears that I was working through, which was fear of being destitute, fear of becoming drug addicted, fear of uh, being. Um, or do you do drugs? Is that why you're asking? Like fear of being drug addicted or was it? Uh, well, I can't, yeah, like I said, my family's fairly dysfunctional, so I can see how it's, how, where it can leave people to be lost in addiction. Mm. It's a scary road. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, like, it's, these are fears that aren't um, happening. <laughs> so the fear of being destitute is I'm very far from that. It's just that destitute meaning poor with no friends yes. and vulnerable and maybe even ill which some people are in that situation. And I think that would, I would be, that would be, I'm fearful of that, but it's, these are not uh, rational fears. Okay. When was the last time you had a panic attack? Hmm. Um, I think I had my first panic attack or my own, the only one I've ever had on, um, I think sometime in January or February when I got in some, I got in an altercation in a skate park <laughs> and I think I was just, I was stressed at the time and uh, yeah, afterwards I couldn't catch my breath and uh, someone told me that's what that was. Panic attack. Mm. <clears throat> okay, two more questions. Do you believe in soulmates? Um, I do and I think that soulmates doesn't necessarily mean you, that means you're together. I don't think the soulmate is the same thing as like when people say the one, I think there are people who you have affinity with that is for some reason just there. And it doesn't mean that you're always gonna be in each other's lives. It just, it's a very profound connection that you share for however long you share it. All right, and this next one is a series of questions. I'm going to ask you the same question over and over again. The next one is to go beyond what you are. For example, I'm going to say, who are you? So mm -hmm. if you ask me, like, oh, who yeah. are you? I would say, Jared Waters, who are you? Stand-up comedian, who are you? Two-time wrestling champ, who are you? A lover, a friend. That's the whole goal, to go beyond what Jed Cass is, right? Mm 
Mm -hmm. All right, you ready? Okay. Who yeah, I'm ready. Who are you? Okay, I'm Jed. Who are you? I'm um. I'm a musician. Who are you? I'm a Yoruba English person. Who are you? I'm a, I'm a queer. Who are you? <laughs> I'm a, I'm an ineffable spirit. Who are you? <laughs> I'm a consciousness. Who are you? I'm. The words I'm saying now. And the whole goal is to go beyond yourself. And usually when you have like a dramatic uh, pause, that's when they stop. This is the last question before we end this podcast. If someone had a book, right? And they had a book and they had the Jed Cash story, right? And they gave it to your great, great, great grandkids and they opened the book to the last page. They would have said, you are what? What do you want people to say? When they finally read your book, they're going to say, he was what? Mm -hmm. Jed and he was what? Definitely here. Gentlemen, my name is Jared Waters. This is my friend Jed Cass, all the way from the UK, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for opening up, shedding a, a, a light to the world we don't know, man. I'm glad that you're the man that you are now, you know? Mm, thanks for inviting me. No, thank you for doing this. This is a great time capsule, man. Freaking mm. imagine 20 years from now when your kids are like, yo, who, what was it? Like, here, play this. Oh, uh, I can't wait. Look, I hope you have a wonderful day or night, or it's night, probably eight, seven o'clock at night, right? It's the afternoon. Five o'clock, yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, my brother, peace and many blessings be peace. on you. Have a good one. Thank you for doing this, brother. Thank you. Take care. You as well, sir. All right, folks, that was part two of episode 101, Jed Cass. And we'd like to thank Jed for being so open and being so honest, man. And like I said, I met him two years ago in uh, London. We're doing stand-up out there. And uh, he was telling jokes on stage, and he goes, I'm already a minority. I'm black. I'm trans. And I was like, oh, he's trans, right? And then we started speaking, like I said in the podcast, and I thought he was transitioning, but he already transitioned. So more in detail how those three years of his life. And it's good that he, he found himself, the awakening of Jake Cass. He's a very sweet, intimate, thought-provoking person. And... Uh, I just thank him for taking the time, taking the time out and to drop that time capsule. So if you want to follow him, he's not on Instagram. I can't find him on Instagram, but he is on Facebook. And we'll drop his links inside uh, the bio, inside the description. All right, folks, have a beautiful night. Good day, wherever you are in the world. g o to the D-I-E, a.k.a. Roland Doja. Take us out, hope. Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree in the Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle. Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, said, I just want to say, man, you the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'll be the next Jamar Neighbors. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.